Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for this day and for this time that you've given me to be able to preach and also, Lord, this day to teach. Help me, dear God, to uh, make this to where people can uh, glean from this that would be helpful. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Young people, I'm not going to pick on you, but I do want to tell you this. You may be thinking that, is it really important? Living for Jesus is really important. Having faith in Jesus is really important. And it may seem right now that it's not. But there will come a place in your life to where that's what's going to be extremely important. So be built and get that uh, assuredness in your life now that when a trouble does come, it won't knock you over, but you'll be ready for that. Um, Let's talk about healing. That's what we want to look at today. And I told Vicki this morning, she came into into my office, and I told her, that it would be great with me if God wanted me to go through this armed situation just for me to have empathy and sympathy for what everybody else goes through that I've tried to help and minister to all these 25 years of pastoring at Orchardville Church. If I go through that and then God would supernaturally heal this kidney and these lymph nodes and this left hip, that'd be great by me. That'd be great by me. And it's kind of unbelievable to me and kind of even sad that there are preachers that preach that Jesus doesn't heal. And I've been to some of those churches and heard some of those preachers, and yet they still will have a time to where they pray for people's needs. And I wonder, well, why do they do that? You know, if they don't really think that God can actually do what the Bible says that he can do. Now, I hope you brought your Bible, but you're going to have to, you need, you're going to have to follow along here um, because we're going to be all over. Now, last week, Glenn and Jan Bryant, that was their last week here at Orchardville Church. And again, I'm sorry and saddened that I was not able to be here. Uh, that has been a rock-solid couple for the months that they've been to church here. And they have wrote the church a letter. Mark and Kay, when we came to Orchardville, we were in transition. We were remodeling our home, planning to sell, and move to Missouri. We didn't know if it would take a few months or a year. Our stay at Orchardville has only been a few months. When we finally got the house ready to sell, it sold in 15 days. Our time at Orchardville has been the best. Oh, what a blessing. We've been wonderfully welcomed. We've been taught and nurtured in a very special way. We've seen more people saved and baptized in our short time here than in our last 35 years in the area. Now, here's what happens with this. We tend to, and shame on us, But we tend to take things for granted that happens here in this church. There was four people saved in camp. Well, yeah, there was four people saved in camp. No, that needs to be a hallelujah time. Because think of this. Think of this. However many people that was that they seen saved and baptized, 
That was more than 35 years that they had witnessed in the church where they had been attending. So let's don't, let's don't take things for granted. Let's be, let's be thankful about what God is doing Amen. in amongst our presence. It says, they said, we leave with new hope and restored commitment to the Great Commission. That's because of you and me. Because they see that is the goal and the main emphasis that any church should have. Yes. Is let's get together and let's win somebody else to Jesus. As we look for our new church home, we will not settle anywhere that does not share the same vision and commitment. The anointed praise team and our supper club group have especially blessed us. Jan and I wear the orange reminders on our wrist all the time. Every time it moves or we notice it, we pray. We are not worried. We're just concerned. We're constantly praying and anticipating good news. Today I was reading and reminded by Acts 4.28 that anything God allows to threaten his own, he will use to bring about great glory. Thank you for being our pastor for this time. It has been a life-changing experience. We thank you, Kay, and Orchardville Church you don't realize how special you are. You've been a sanctuary for us at a time we really needed you. We just want you to know that we love you and we're praying for you constantly. Loving Christ, Glenn and Jan Bryant. Church, give yourselves a hand for that. Thank God. Now, you need your Bible. Go to the book of Job. I don't want to scare anybody off of the book of Job, but I will say, when all of this news came to me, I was in the book of Job. <laughs> yeah. The book of Job, chapter 2, verse 7. Now, I want you to find that, and then I want you to place a finger there, and then I want you to find Luke, chapter 13, verse 16. Again, our style is going to be different than what we usually preach on Sunday morning. Luke 13, 16. And if you've got that, say, I've got it. And then I want you to put a finger there. Everybody laughing and giggling like, oh, no, how many fingers do I have? <laughs> 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. And that's as far as I'm going to tax you. As far as I'm going to take you, as far as uh, putting the, trying to keep up here with me. All right, starting in Job chapter 2. So went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto the crown of his head. Who went forth and done that? Satan. Satan did that. That's pretty clear. Now, Luke 13, verse 17, 16, 14, 11. Let's look at 11. And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bowed together and could in no wise lift herself up. And when Jesus saw her, he called to her and said unto her, Woman, thou art loose from thine infirmity. He laid hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. 
And the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day. What a hypocrite. What a phony baloney. He did not care about anybody. Because here was a woman healed on the Sabbath day, and he was mad. There are six days in which men ought to work, and them therefore come and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. Jesus answered and said, you hypocrite. Do you not each of you on the Sabbath day loose his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead him away to the watering? Ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, lo, these 18 years, be loosed from this bondage on the Sabbath day? Who had bound her? Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. Paul writes, Lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelation, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord three times that it might depart from me, and he said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. It was a messenger of who? Satan. Satan. Well, God gets, God gets a bad rap on a lot of things. Well, God made me sick. No, God did not make you sick. I mean, this is the Bible evidence, Old and New Testament, that it is the enemy that puts things on people. It's not the Father. It's not the Father. It's not the Father. In, J- in James chapter 5, the scripture that we all have heard and read uh, numerous times, in verse number 14, any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him." There are teachings that says that the book of James is for the Jewish people, not for the church. That's foolishness. If it was for the Jewish people, God would have said, when you enter into the synagogue. But God didn't say that. When you attend church. So it's for me and you. This is not for the Old Testament Jew. This is for the New Testament you. And it says the elders of the church, if it was for the Jewish people exclusively, God would have said that the rabbi would do this. But no, elders of the church. Church, we have every right to ask the Lord Jesus to heal us. Every right. And I have told this to numerous people. As long as there is breath, there is hope. And as long as there is hope in my soul, I'm going to hang on that Jesus Christ is able to heal whoever I pray for, whoever I am, whoever my uh, uh, touch goes out on. If it's me or someone else, we have every right to claim that from God himself. Amen. Go in the Old Testament to 2 Chronicles chapter 16. 2 Chronicles 16 Verse number 12, look at a man by the name of Asa. Second Chronicles 16, verse 12. And Asa, the king, in the 39th year of his reign, was diseased in his feet until his disease was exceeding great. 
What kind of, what, what would that be anyway? Is that gout? People say gout. Do you, got, do you die of gout? I don't know. Huh? Game AF. Maybe if it turned game green, I guess. Yet in his disease, he sought not the Lord, but he went to the physicians and Asa died. God is not saying, don't go to the doctor. What God is saying, don't go to the doctor first. At least give me a chance. That's what God's saying here. At least give me a chance. This guy was sick in his feet. How many here has ever been sick in your feet? When you're sick in your feet, you're sick. Yeah, it just messes up everything. You're sick in your whole body. I mean, I've known the people sick in their head, and they get around pretty good. It don't really don't <laughs> affect them a whole lot. But man, when you're sick in your feet, it messes you up. So God's not saying it's not that you don't go to the doctor. Don't go to the doctor first. At least give God a chance to do a healing or the miraculous in your life. The book of Isaiah, chapter 38. Isaiah 38. Are you there? Have you got it? Verse 1. In those days, Hezekiah was sick unto death. And Isaiah, the prophet, the son of Amos, came unto him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, set your house in order, for you will die and not live. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed unto the Lord and said, God, I like this prayer. Lord, remember now, I beseech thee, how I have walked before you in truth with a perfect heart. I have done that which is good in your sight. Isaiah wept sore before God. He took his prayer and his, you can call it whatever you want to, his gripe, his frustrations. He took them to God and said, Lord, I've done all these things for you. I'm praying and asking for a miracle. Then came the word of the Lord Isaiah saying go and say to Hezekiah the king thus saith the Lord God of David thy father I have heard your cry I have heard your prayer I have seen your tears behold I will add unto your days 15 years thank God thank God thank God we have every right to be able to ask God to heal us let me show you again, and you've probably never heard this verse. But let me show you again how God works in conjunction with doctors. Look what it says, and it's about this same man, Hezekiah, in this same chapter, in verse 21. For Isaiah said, take a lump of figs and lay it for a plaster upon the boil, and he shall recover. See, he not only prayed, but then they done something, we could say, in the medical field. And I've heard this years ago, that healing is much like a dove, to where the dove has one wing and then has another wing. There's the healing portion of God, and then there's a healing portion that God gives doctors. Listen, I look at, the, I look at Dr. Mold and I think, that guy's on the same team I'm on, Amen. trying to make people well. Amen. 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 And I'm in a battle for my life right now. And I am thanking God every day for my faith. I'm thanking God every day for my wife. 
I'm thanking God every day for my church family. I'm thanking God every day for my staff. I'm thanking God because there are people, and I can't imagine this. I cannot imagine this, that go through this by themselves. The amount of help and sacrifice that my wife has given me has been totally remarkable. And again, how people would go through anything like this by themselves, I don't know. I don't know. Romans chapter 8, listen as I read. I want you to pick up on something. 8.35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? We sing it in the song. Shall tribulation? No. Say it with me. Shall distress? No. Shall persecution? No. Shall famine? No. Shall nakedness? No. Shall peril? No. Shall sword? No. In Romans 8.31, if God be for us, who can be against us? In Romans 8.33, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? In Romans 8.34, who is he that condemns? Did you see it? Who shall separate us? If God be for us, who will be against us? Who shall lay anything to the charge? Who is he that condemns? There is a who behind all of these things. And Jesus gives us a clue on who this rascal is. And we see this in John chapter 10, verse 10. Go there. John chapter 10, verse 10. There's a who behind all of these things. Jesus said, the thief comes not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Who does? God does? No. Who does? The thief. Who's the thief? That's right. The enemy, the devil, Satan, the thief comes not, but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And Jesus said, I am come that you might have life and that you might have life more abundantly. Two main teachings in the church world on healing. Number one, God don't heal anybody. Number two, God heals everybody. And I think they're both false. I think they're both false. If it was true that God healed everybody, you could walk in with enough faith and you'd be able to drain every hospital of every patient that they had in the, in, in the county. I feel sorry for doubters and skeptics and complainers and unbelievers. I would hate to live my life like that. As long as I have breath, I have hope. I have a belief. Church, your life will be determined by your vision. If I had no belief, if I had no, I certainly wouldn't be standing here. I wouldn't try to be encouraging you and encouraging myself. I would be in the doldrums. I'd be in a room tucked away all by myself waiting to die. But I have a belief system knowing that Jesus said, I have given you life and life more abundantly. Yes. Your life will be determined by your vision. 
Dan Rhodes was a man who grew up with Dave Thomas. Who knows who Dave Thomas is? Yeah. Grew up with him. And knew that Dave was kind of a, a sharp guy, but when Dave came to Don, his bu Dan, his buddy, and said he needed some investment capital, Dan wasn't willing to do it because he thought he was a nice guy but didn't know if he was a sharp enough guy. So he let that go. Dan Rhodes was a personal friend. This sounds odd even saying it, but I'm sure the guy had personal friends. Dan Rhodes was a personal friend to Colonel Sanders. And when Colonel Sanders, at the age of 65, decided that he wanted to open up a, a chicken franchise, Dan Rhodes, looking over the, the business uh, schedule or the business idea that, that Colonel Sanders had, didn't think that the thing would fly. So he didn't give any investment capital to that. Dan Rhodes' top salesman in his business was a guy by the name of Ray Kroc. Ray Kroc had a new idea for how to make a hamburger business and french fries and do all that. And Dan Rose just didn't know about putting any kind of money in something like that. I mean, who needs another hamburger joint? And Ray Kroc owned and operated and founded, what was it? McDonald's. McDonald's. Now, you got to wonder about Dan Rhodes. <laughs> Dan Rhodes told a retired lawyer... As this retired lawyer was telling him on board a, an Alaskan cruise that he ought to invest some money in my son's new business. And he said, I would, but the name sounds too silly. Microsoft. Gosh. Your life will be determined by your vision. When they take... Seeing eye dogs, they train them dogs to always be looking up. Two men behind prison bars. One saw mud, the other saw stars. Which way are you looking? Woe is me. Nobody's ever had as bad as I have. My great-grandma Bessie told me, young man, there will always be somebody that's got it worse than you. Amen. That's true. Amen. That's true. That's true. I want to add this. I, uh, it was been a week ago, and I was having trouble with a certain portion of my body, and I got a phone call. And in this phone call, uh, this man told me, uh, what I ought to be able to do that would help me out. And I said, I don't know. That sounds kind of homemade type remedy that, I mean, the doctor didn't tell me to that. Well, I know that, but I'm telling you, if you want to get helped out here, you'll do it. So uh, I went ahead and went with what David Eads told me to do, and within an hour, I was like a new man. <laughs> well, what was the trouble you was having? That ain't none of your business, but... <laughs> I was like a new man. <laughs> Since 1988, I have been either thinking about a building, getting encouraged about building a building, dreaming about building a building, 
or raising money to build a building. That's what's been my life since 1988. Roger Barrow over at the Centralia branch, he says this. Let's face it, as long as Mark Shell's pastor at Orchardville Church, we're going to be building something. <laughs> now, over the years, I've had one person after another that will tell me what we should do next. And for the most part, the most part, that goes in one ear and out the other. Because with me, I've got to get excited about it, and that excitement never pans out the same on every, on every thing that we're going to build or do. But I can tell that it's something that God has inspired me with this excitement. Some excitement, when we went to Centralia Branch, when, I went to, when, when I'd go over to Centralia, I'd just start crying. Every time I drive into the town, I just start crying. And I knew that God was, was drawing us towards Centralia. When we went to the Fairfield branch or Fairfield way, that was not that way at all, but the excitement was there. Listen, I never tell God how to tell me. And that so pigeonholed so many people because God has got to be done exactly like this or I'm not going to do it. Two things there. I don't tell God how to tell me. And number two, God is not on trial with me. God, if you don't come through for me, I'm going to quit and give up the faith. No, it's not that way at all with me. God's not on trial with me. It's not, God, you better do this or you can just forget me ever, ever being a, a preacher or ever being a Christian. God's not on trial with me. I know my job is to trust and obey. There are people who say, I'm mad at God. And this has been my, when I hear that, it's what I tell them back. I'm not. And you shouldn't be. I'm not and you shouldn't be. The trying of our, anyone want to finish that? Faith is much more precious than gold. The trying of my faith, God looks at it and says, that's more precious than all the gold in Fort Knox. The angels look at that and say, that's more precious than all the gold in Fort Knox. The trying of our faith. Give me one more verse and we're going to quit. I'm running out of gas. Jeremiah, what a wonderful verse. Jeremiah 33. In church, eventually I'll preach a sermon on this. I don't know how we, exactly how we're going to do it, but uh, wow. The amount of cards. And yeah, I'll just stop there. Because it's been a whole plethora of things that people have given us. But the amount of cards. And one person wrote in that card, Mark, I'm sending you this card knowing that this is one of many cards. And I'm sure that you're going to get more cards in this week than I'll get in my whole life. But the amount of cards that I've received... It's been a remarkable thing. And thank God for people that are willing to encourage and lift you up. It's great. Jeremiah 33.3, 3, call unto me when I will answer you. 
That don't mean calling to me and I'll tell you yes every time. He just says, no, I'll answer you. Calling to me and I'll answer you and I'll show you great and mighty things which you know not. God does that. God will exceed what your wildest dream would be. I think the thief on the cross when he was next to Jesus and said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. His idea was a thousand years from now, God will set up a kingdom and perhaps I'll be a part of that. And Jesus blew that man's mind when he said, today, today you will be with me in paradise. My wildest imagination for Orchardville Church on a Sunday morning was a hundred people. That's my wildest imagination. And God has far exceeded that. I love this quote. John Maxwell said, I'm either up or I'm getting up. I love that quote. 